released on Sunday, June 26, 2016. The Sagal Life, episode 110. Silver Searcher. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me this episode, we have... Craig Buchak. Hello, everybody. Hey, Craig, how are you? Doing pretty good. Also with us, Craig, we have Lee McCauley. Hey, I am glad to be around all you weirdos. We are weird indeed. Uh, but we're glad you're here with us too, Lee, to be a weirdo right alongside us. The last weirdo of this episode is the one and only weirdo himself, Amos King. <laughs> Probably the biggest weirdo out of all of us. I, I really missed you guys. I'm so glad that we could get on here tonight. I know it's been a while in both having a podcast come out and in us just getting together. And being awesome together and weird. That's right. All right. Well, let's jump right into it. Tonight, we're going to talk about... Problems with your product owner. That never happens. What? No. People don't have problems with a product owner. People, people don't. Problems people don't with have product problem. people. owners. Problem product owner. Problem people. I, I'm not sure I've actually had a product owner until recently. Well, <laughs> you're lucky. There you go. Well, we've had people with a title of Pro- product owner. Problem they solved. They have really been product owners. They didn't product own. Well, this was not own. This uh, issue was suggested to us by our friend Kevin Thiels, and uh, he wanted us to knock this idea around a little bit and see if we could propose some solutions. So he's hypothetically might be working with a product owner that uh, it isn't too terribly engaged. So maybe the dev team is already sort of doing a good job, but from an agile perspective, but the product owner just won't engage, you know, doesn't understand the role of a product owner, maybe kind of sounds like. And so what sort of suggestions could we give for him, Craig? Well, first of all, what, what is the role of a project manager? We should discuss not a project manager, product owner, a product owner. What, what should he be doing or she be doing? Owning the product. Oh wait, you can't (laughs) use the words in the definition. (laughs) So what is this, a game of taboo? Right. Um, so there's actually a great video called Agile Project Ownership in a Nutshell. And I think we've all mentioned this video before. I think it's about it's, uh, about 16 minutes um, worth watching if you want a better understanding of this. should definitely put um, it in the, uh, in the show notes. Yeah. But in a nutshell, in a nutshell, um, the product owner represents the um, needs and desires of the customer, of the users of the software. More specifically, uh, the product owner is the one that's in charge of deciding on priorities, uh, at least at the feature level, and which things get done first, uh, and and knowing the vision of where the product is going over the yeah. long term. Yeah, I was going to say, and possibly like a domain expert or or at least a representative of a domain expert. They may, they don't have to know everything, but they, they should have quite a few of the answers for anything that you have to ask, or at least know where to go to get them. 
So asking like, how should this work specifically? Uh, yeah, yeah, possibly. There, there. I think there are a lot of questions that go into domain expert out of just how should it work, but like, what does this mean? Uh, nomenclatures, mm. just different things like that. It's also the product owner's responsibility to make sure that the team is uh, has a sufficient. Uh, backlog of stories ready to be worked at any time so that the team uh, is never waiting on on new priorities to come out and new things to do. So you guys are giving a pretty comprehensive set of roles and responsibilities or at least responsibilities and things that a product owner can do to help the team. And maybe if some of those things are explained to this individual who is serving as the product owner to this group of engineers, software developers that would help clarify for the product owner, why it's important to have them around more often. I think that's a really good point, John, because I think I mentioned earlier that until recently, I don't think I've ever actually had somebody that's in the product owner role. That's uh, really been doing a good job of being a product owner. And I think in every case, it's because they didn't really understand what the product owner role is uh, entailed. But, but Lee, you can always shoot me an email. I'll get back to you. <laughs> I'll be your product owner. Just sure. Sure, that'll work. Except that we need an answer like now in a lot of cases. Why? Uh, well, it's about efficiency, right? Otherwise, we're sitting on, we've got a story that's blocked because we can't move forward until we have information. Or but, we don't but have I've, any stories. I've prioritized a bunch of stories for you. You can just, just move on to something else until I get back to you. It's okay. You got plenty to do. I got plenty to do too. I don't need to sit in the pit all day. <laughs> right. So uh, so that still means that we've got a lot of stories sitting, uh, getting blocked, right? And it'll pretty much be almost every story is going to have some kind of questions. Sometimes we can answer those as a team. But uh, in a lot of cases, we need a product owner or a subject matter expert that we can go to that uh, has those answers. And not only that, but it is only the product owner's responsibility. The product owner is the only person that has the right to actually move uh, uh, stories at a feature level, at least for us, uh, at the featured level to say that those stories are actually done and to uh, and to, to say that they're actually ready to be worked, that we've that we have understood the feature well enough to actually start working on or so to break they, it down. So they probably set the acceptance criteria and then they confirm whether the acceptance criteria have been met. Right. So I find that this is probably the thing that most agile teams struggle with the most. Um, and it's the, the principle of business people and developers must work together daily throughout the project. Um, so you are actually supposed to be with actual users, not just a product owner um, representing them. But even if we have just a project, a product owner representing them, even that is not not going very well. Okay, so it sounds like some of the things that we're saying here is that we need a product owner to be easy to contact. And easiest to contact would be inside of the working area with us, right? Co-location of a product owner nearby the team to help 
unblock things to help answer questions. But Craig, you're starting to go, I think, a little bit deeper into some more advanced product ownership concepts, such as interacting with users, uh, performing feature experiments, or finding out what the what users really want, as opposed to just acting on their own gut. So, I mean, uh, a lot of the uh, one of the things that Agile says is that people should be co-located in the same room to facilitate as much communication as possible. And a lot of times when I'm working, you know, I'm making a form and I need to know, oh, well, uh, this field here, what should be the range? Should it be from 1 to 100 or should it be 0 to 99? I'm not really sure. And having that product owner be that person that makes that decision and be in the room or very easily accessible is is what you really want there so that I don't sit there struggling for 45 minutes on some little piddly little thing that should take about two minutes to ask and have answered. I, I think a, a lot of the problem there is that no matter how much work you put into a story or even a waterfall document, you know, like if you're doing waterfall, it's good to have a product owner around also is because no matter what, how much work you put into there, there's going to be some level of ambiguity or a failure to communicate. Maybe you wrote it in there, but you didn't write it in a way that the person that is implementing it is understanding. I have seen ambiguity. If it's ambiguous, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter how you solve it. Right. Well, is that really true or not? If you did waterfall, it should have been specified or it didn't matter. On, in real life. And, well, I, I was just thinking of it whenever you were talking about should it be zero to 100 or one to 99. Um, and, and that can come up that maybe you've, you've done quite a few stories for them and they said one zero to a hundred inclusively. And this time they just didn't say inclusively. So between zero and a hundred and, and, you know, we're nitpicking here and this might be like a, very trivial example, but those are the kind of things that I think come up a lot and are ambiguous in stories. So what happens often is if you don't get that question answered pretty quick, then most developers will simply make the decision themselves. And while in a lot of cases, maybe they can make the right decision, uh, maybe they won't. And the, it might not even get caught until much later down the line and then fixing that is way more expensive. um, What I found with the the developers making the decision too is that that the developers end up making the right decision more often when the product owner has been involved and very involved. If the product owner spends all of their time in the war room for six months with the team on a two-year project, after six months, they have a lot less questions for that product owner because they've learned so much from them. And when that product owner is in, in another room and is less accessible, even if they feel like the communication is, is pretty open, that time between asking and actually getting an answer um, causes people to ask less questions because I know I'm going to have to wait two hours. So like in Craig's case, maybe I come in instead of saying, uh, should it be one to 99 or zero to a hundred? Instead I say, Hey, should it include zero or one? And it takes an hour and they come back and say, Oh yeah, it's not supposed to include zero. And then I get to the 9,900 side and I don't ask because I've already waited two hours for the other one. So I just choose. 
So that quick feedback and lessons learned amongst the team and everybody around knowing it makes a big difference. And, mm. and when I, I say room, you know, a hangout, even a Slack channel to a point, but not near as good as that. If you have a remote team, those things can count as your room. As long as people are actually super involved in that room. So we've said a lot of things about reasons why we should have product owners in the room and the importance of it and the benefits of doing that. But how do we now to help, uh, to help the listeners out and to help this product owner out, what things can we do to convince the product owner that it is worth his time, her time to be in the, in the area to be co-located with the team throughout the development process. How do we go about making that clear to the product owner? So I I worked with a team and I asked them to, whenever they had to ask the product owner a question um, to, to track the time from question to answer. Uh, And then also if there were follow-up questions based on that answer, to, to track that time and number of follow-up questions for, and they tracked, they actually marked it when the product owner was like in a meet, like when they were in a meeting with him or he was in the room and then when he was away and what the difference was. And then we just took that down to dollars and cents on if I sat there, even if I went to work on something else, we said if you went to work on something else, then it was just half that dollars and cents because you're still thinking about the other thing that you're waiting on and you're going back and checking all the time. So we said, yeah, let's say 50%. It costs 50% of your time whenever you're waiting on something, even if you decide to work on something else in the meantime. So you're suggesting to demonstrate the uh, the money that is saved or the efficiency that is gained. Mm-hmm. Anyone else have any suggestions for how to convince the product owner to be more present? Basically, the developers need them. They need them. They need access to them. They need to have these questions answered or they're going to spin their wheels. Right. But how do we convince? What can we do to help convince the organization or convince the product owner's boss or to convince the product owner? themselves that it's important to be there. So one of the other things is uh, that I've tried is just try it. Like say, Hey product owner, can we try this for two weeks or, or a certain amount of time, but be like very dogmatic about it. Like, Hey, be here seven out of the eight hours of the day and in with the team and be available to them and then track how many uh, features or stories get returned at the product owner level? Hey, no, that's wrong. Or yeah, I accept that. Like how many things get accepted first try versus how many things get accepted second, third try. Um, and, and then get them to focus on that for a, a short period of time. One, one of the things that I would want to do is have a frank and open conversation with the individual to find out what's going on, what is it about what we're doing that is not attractive or appealing to the product owner, is not attractive or appealing enough to the product owner 
to make them want to spend more time with us in in the act and the and and the partnership of creating the software. I personally can't think of a more valuable member of the team from a moving forward perspective and understanding what needs to be done perspective than the product owner. And if the product owner has a a shared vested interest in the success of the project, you would think that they would do everything in their power to be as available as possible to the team. And so one of the things that that drives me to think about is does this is this individual actually invested in what we're doing or as maybe is the the case here this person has simply been told you are the product owner whether you like it or not that means you do this and that means you spend time with these developers maybe this person has like a second job that they're doing at the same time they're product owner on two projects or mm. an ops manager or you know a salesperson who knows right but they've got some uh, seems like they've got some other thing within the organization that they're responsible for so i'd want to have that conversation to find out why don't you want to be here with us what's more important to you than this and and how much of if you do have multiple jobs how much of that job could you do while you're sitting here i think that's an important question a lot of times you don't need a separate office to to answer some emails Um, also the product owner is sort of a leadership role. If you're not setting a good example, if you're not leading, then the team is just going to be sort of scattered and it's not going to function very well. So if if you, if you're like, if you're not, if you're not there, if you're not available, if you're not leading, then the team isn't going to function as well as it should. I, I, I almost look at a product owner kind of like a, a a team captain, right? On like a a high school basketball team, right? The team captain still needs to be there, needs to be a part of the team. Uh, one way that I have found that worked really well to get a product owner, we had a very uninvolved product owner, was uh, the team started like doing hangout things, like going bowling and stuff like that. And we found out what the product owner liked to do. And then we would pick those things to do and invite them to be along. And after they were um, emotionally involved with the team, it was really easy to say, hey, we need you to hang out in this area because that person also found friendships on that team. And when they weren't just answering questions about the product, they might like stop and talk to you about, hey, last week we were playing darts. And this, so this week on my dart league and they start talking to you. So you found out they like darts. So you took them out to do darts and now they have those conversations with people on the team and that brings them to stay in the area more. Lee, you, it sounded like you have a unique experience having not a lot of opportunity and experiences to have a product owner. And then more recently having a product owner. What do you think about ways to convince the product owner to be more present? I don't know. I thought uh, Amos' suggestions were pretty good. I yeah. I love you, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I can't. I can't think of how you convince somebody that their priorities should be different because most of the product owners, uh, if if they've been 
So here are the two different brands of product owners that I've had experience with. Ones that have been assigned to that job and they're really product owner proxies. Um, they're not the real product owners. They've just give, been given that title and they are trying to do some of the administerial stuff that a product owner normally has to do, but they don't really have uh, the knowledge to do, to be able to make those real decisions about how the product is going to get steered. Um, or you have someone that actually is in the business and has the knowledge to be the product owner, but they are, they're working, you know, 60 hour weeks and doing way more in the company than, than just your product. And it's kind of a side thing for them. They're, they're trying to do their best from what they can consider their best. And, uh, and your project is just one of 10 things on their plate. So those are the things that I've, that I've had um, recently, for example, the one that the, probably the one product owner I feel like has actually done the job. Um, part of the reason why she's so good is um, a, she is actually working 60 hours a week and therefore uh, a lot of those hours end up getting spent with the team. Um, and she's got a, uh, another BA that has literally been on her hip practically for the last 25 years. And so they are almost one person. And so that we actually have two people that can answer those questions, not just mm. one. Oh, that's beautiful. And uh, yeah. And then we've got, we've still got a product owner proxy that does the administrative ministerial stuff of, organizing meetings and making sure that that features are being discussed and that stories are being broken down and stuff like that um, while allowing the the real product owner to still have control and uh, make the make the decisions on features and when they're going to get what the priorities are and doing all the the high responsibility stuff so it's really a team effort to be a product owner but it's work but it works really well and I have never seen a single uh, one person that's been able to take on that role and do it adequately. Well, you mentioned adequately there, which would lead me to believe that you believe that this product owner is being effective. What are some ways that maybe we could go about measuring the effectiveness of a product owner? And the reason that I I bring this question up and propose that we talk about this a little bit because is because I feel like if you could come up with some measurements around and regarding the effectiveness of a product owner, then a group of developers could use the use these measurements of effectiveness to track a product owner that is maybe not as engaged as they'd like them to be and try and correlate that back to, you know, when the product owners more present, we're more productive and things along those lines as using for using that as ammunition to talk to the product owner about, hey, look, when you're around, things go better, things go smoother, etc. That's a good question. The for me, the only one that I can think of is uh, and it's only a very small piece of what a a PO does uh, is making is if you could measure um, any times when the team has to say, hey, we don't have groomed stories ready to work uh, yet. And uh, 
and therefore we're going to have to, you know, call a meeting just to do that rather than having those uh, not breaking up the, the flow by doing that. If you can measure that, if you can measure how often stories uh, get past that groomed state and get into being developed, but they haven't really been groomed and they they really don't have clear acceptance criteria. That's another measure of saying, well, that's not really a good, the product owner is missing something there. Although to be, to be fair, uh, that's not just the product owner. That's also the team allowing that to, to that story to be considered ready. I, I'm going to guess that, this is going to be a little bit hard to measure um, because it's going to be one of those things you're not going to realize. It's like um, when I talk about pairing and you get stuck and you don't realize you're stuck, that's hard to measure that time that you're stuck because you don't, you didn't realize it. Um, I think you're going to run into situations where you have a question that ideally would be answered by the product owner and you sit there and spin for a while, but you don't realize how much time you're spending waiting for that answer or trying to come up with that answer on your own. So I think it's going to be pretty hard to measure. Um, but Lee's got probably the best ideas I've heard on how to measure those things. What if you kept a, uh, in addition to what Lee, Lee mentioned, and I think what Lee was mentioning was the times when you run out of stories prepared and groomed to be worked on. So that could be one measure. What if you also tracked the number of times that a story became blocked because the product owner wasn't available to have a conversation about the story. I think most of those blockages are micro blockages though. You know, they're pretty small, but you know, they're half an hour at a time maybe. And that's not something you normally block on your Kanban board. It depends though. In some cases, depending on how the team is working, they may not see your, their product owner talk to them until stand up the next day. Right. Sure, and you could also maybe track the the number of hours or the number of days or half days or something that the product owner was was present and available. And I'm not saying that any of these things necessarily in and of themselves equate to efficiency or effectiveness, but what I'm proposing is that maybe you correlate those back to other metrics like cycle time and and see if there are any conclusions that can be drawn from them like maybe you notice that your cycle time is lower uh when the the product owner has been present more often and then you can use that as a catalyst for a conversation to say hey we've noticed over the past 3 increments over the past 3 weeks or whatever it is that the on the weeks where you've been here more, our cycle time is lower. So we propose that in order to try and keep our cycle time low, that you as the product owner be present here with us more often. You might try a cycle time for questions. So if any developer has a question, track that time between has the question and gets the question answered. And I think that like these are really important things that you you can get them in there with what you're talking about. You're talking about collecting these metrics, either make them feel involved with like the extra activities to make them feel like they're part of the team or make them feel really important with things like metrics. I mean, really you're social engineering your way into a great product owner. Well, that's what I was talking earlier about making them feel needed. 
If you listen to more than a few of our more than 100 episodes, you know that we don't often read commercials on the show, and this episode is no different. But I would like to take a moment to thank all of our supporters that joined our private Slack channel. On our private Slack channel, the hosts of This Agile Life talk with our supporters about our daily challenges as we continue living our Agile lives. In this episode, I'd also like to personally thank Carl Blanchard. Carl started supporting the show back in April 2016. Carl, thank you for your support. We feel honored that you listened to the show. If you want to join Carl in our private Slack channel, go to thisagilelife.com forward slash community. Now, how about if, uh, despite all your best efforts, the product owner is completely uninterested because this isn't this isn't this person's primary job. This isn't what uh, this individual has been told is their primary responsibility and then therefore is not the thing that they're being measured on and judged on and in- incented on for their, you know, end of year evaluation, et cetera, right? So they're kind of stuck with this responsibility that they don't want. What are some things that you could do to, I guess, circumvent or work around the fact of having a an absentee product owner? Usually I find the teams go one of two ways. One is they just are not a very well-functioning team or someone else picks up some of that slack and fills some of that role. Um, and it's pretty organic how they fill the role. It's not... I'm not sure I can even really think off the top of my head how they would go about filling that role. Um. So the stuff that I've seen in the past for teams has been um, you will have somebody that will step up and start organizing, you know, story breakdown meetings and stuff like that. But then uh, maybe you can get a weekly demo. And then in those demos and that in those or the sprint planning meetings, that's when uh, you get your time with the customer slash product owner, and hopefully they can make some decisions as far as what features you do next or what stories you do next. And, uh, and so that can, that can help a little bit, but it's a very small uh, kind of Band-Aid. You end up in a situation you do the best you can with what you've got. It's what happens to the team. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Do you think the, which, which is the worst of these outcomes to build nothing or to build the wrong thing? <laughs> Am I spending the same amount of money? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And time. Um, uh, I, I say building nothing. Ooh, I think I'd rather build nothing. Cause at least I can, uh, you know, find something else to do with my time. I'm going to be bored and probably looking for another job. Oh, I, I, I disagree. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah, get bored when you're build, not building anything. I would rather build the wrong thing because when you get the wrong thing in front of the right people, you get feedback so that you can make that thing right. And you oh, can I was, I was, I was assuming that we weren't going to get that opportunity at all. Okay, if, if that's the well, case, well, I, I think once you put it out there and people use it, you start to find out if you're doing the right thing or not. How, how long can you spend doing the wrong thing, though, before putting it in front of someone? A long freaking time, but I feel a whole <laughs> lot better no. doing that no. than sitting still. No. I think you're more likely to get feedback from building the wrong thing versus building nothing. Building nothing 
uh, I often find out that feedback comes like way later whenever they're like, hey, where's this coming from? Because they just expect that it's taking you some time. So what about this, guys? What if you uh, ra- if you're in a situation where you have an absentee product owner? What if you focused on trying to do continuous deployment and being able Woo! to get it out in front of your customers all the time and then completely bypass the uh, the product owner themselves? Uh, I've done that. Amen. Lee. <laughs> Does it work? Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Well, it, it, I think it works to make a great product. It does not work to make a happy product owner. <laughs> well, what is the goal? So, uh, um, I, although I have, so happy product owner. Product owner is very overloaded, I think, too, because sometimes product owner means to so some people means the person that's paying you for the product. Uh, and sometimes it's a role on a team, right? And and it gets very um, conflated. I don't know a better word for that. Uh, and so I have seen uh, end users being really happy and the people who ultimately are putting in their money really happy. But the people that are actively paying the bills, which were the actual product owners, they were not. They, were, they didn't work for the development company that was writing the software, but were part of the whole thing. We're really pissed off <laughs> because they got bypassed. Um, even though I think that they looked really good in the situation because it looked like they produced a great product. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if you're doing that continuous, I, I think it's unlikely to, to have uh, a product owner that's not there. Um, but for the team to, you know, function well enough to, to be doing continuous deployments. Um, if you, if you have someone strong enough to push that, um, to push those continuous deployments, then he's probably also filling in for some of the project owner's role. Yeah, but not necessarily the stuff like, uh, deciding on, uh, what things get built next that becomes direct direct response from the from the customers right from the users um you still have to weigh priorities probably probably um from what the customer is telling you so you're probably still doing some product owner role there in in balancing those priorities yeah i suppose and and, it's, and deciding when the customer is wrong uh, that's actually a big part of the product owner is you know the the customer wants a faster horse that's the product owner is like, no, we're going to build you a car instead. <laughs> yeah. And that's the important, that goes back to, again, the importance of having the product owner to help lay out the vision, the roadmap, the, the ultimate manifestation of the thing that is wanted to help give direction and then let the engineers and the developers do the work, do the important work of building, building a, a faster horse as, as manifest by a car, by an automobile, right? And without that vision, without the uh, the product, the the eye towards the product and the product aesthetic, uh, they may might get something that is faster, but is not exactly what they were looking for. So I, I think we've given all of our listeners some good advice on working with their product owners. And uh, does anybody have anything to wrap up with as final pointers for dealing with working with product owners? 
Um, I found, so I talked about the, the video Agile Product Ownership in a nutshell. I also found a couple other articles, 37 tasks for a product owner. Amos said that they have a lot of things on their plate. 37 seems like a lot of things for them to do. Um, and uh, I'll also post a link to uh, what uh, Scrum says about the product owner role. Anyone else and, finding final parting words? The, the only thing I would add is don't get mad at your product owner. Uh, they may be doing a horrible job from your perspective, um, but that doesn't mean that, that the prime directive uh, isn't still in force. So don't forget them. Lee, do you want to repeat what the prime directive is? Sure. Just in case? The, now, this is taken from uh, prime directive for retrospectives, but uh, I use it as a prime directive for our entire team every day, every moment, which is a, a paraphrasing. Um, Assume that uh, the people that came before you or the people on your team uh, are all doing the best that they can do given the resources and the knowledge that they have um, and go with that assumption. To me, this basically says assume that that they're doing the best job they can all the time and just have some some respect for for other people. Same thing goes for your product owner. I, I I love it. My wife says the same thing. Everybody does the best they can with the information and knowledge they have at the time. And and I say that's the only reason she's still married to me is because she assumes I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> Boy, if she only knew. <laughs> yeah, I can't see any other good she reason. Appeared. Yeah, she doesn't have enough information. <laughs> <laughs> she's doing the best she can, Craig. That she can. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I, uh, I think... I think that we've kind of killed this. I mean, the thing is, um, make them feel important, make them feel part of the team and, and you make them feel important by showing them data and you make them feel part of the team by being their friend and, and trusting them. This week's hottest picks. Lee, you're up first with your pick this episode. What do you have for us? So the only pick I've got today is the Alzheimer's Association of St. Louis. Uh, this last weekend, I spent all of Saturday doing a, a hackathon, uh, which was the first that the Alzheimer's Association in St. Louis, at least, had done. Uh, so we were hacking Alzheimer's and coming up with ideas of how technology can help uh, uh, Alzheimer's patients and caregivers and physicians and the association itself. And so there's a lot of good uh, good ideas, a lot of good stuff put together that day. And I think it's a really worthy cause. Um, so for those of you who, uh, a, a lot of people have been touched by the disease. So uh, if if you have, are wondering how to help, then check out the Alzheimer's Association. That's at www.alz.org. Man, that's a great pick, Lee. I saw a picture of you there, uh, Lee. Oh, oh wow. it, uh, launch code. Yep. Okay, I'll do my pick next, and uh, I've got two. My first one is something called Code Wars, uh, CodeWars.com. So it's a it's an interesting site because it encourages you to practice your trade as a software developer using a kata based approach, and it allows you to track uh, yourself through 
through these katas and it awards you points for completing certain katas that have been created by other members of the community. And I've been using it recently just to um, keep my software development tools sharp. You know, that old saying about spend two hours sharpening the axe and one cutting the tree down or however that goes, Craig. I know you're you're good for that quote. Yeah, I don't know the exact quote, but keep keep the saw blade sharpened. Yeah. So I've been That's trying to keep number. the saw blade sharpened and I've been using codewars.com to do that. If that's something you're interested in, check that out. My last pick is more of a shout out or a call out just to say that uh, while I'm spending some time off between clients right now, I am working on a new t-shirt for this Agile Life. So look look for the the announcement of a new t-shirt. And if you would like to be announced, if you would like to receive the announcement once the t-shirts are ready, please sure to go over to thisagilelife.com. And you'll receive a, a pop-up if you haven't done it before to um, join our mailing list. And then when those shirts are ready to be bought and sold, I will send out an announcement. I'm signing up right now. <laughs> you're not, not, already you're on not the getting list? a shirt. No, I'm not, I'm not on the list. <laughs> I just close that pop-up every time it comes up. <laughs> Thanks, Amos. <laughs> no problem. Way to set a but, good example. But, but everybody else should probably sign up for it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think so. I get emails from John either way. <laughs> okay, Craig, what are your picks for the episode? All right, uh, my first pick is an article called uh, "Is Postgres No SQL Better Than MongoDB?" Um, and and here's the secret: yes. Um, so uh, Postgres. So a lot of people are into no no SQL. Uh, I'm not, um, but if I do need to do it, I will actually use Postgres. Um, and get all the um, basic protections and the SQL goodies that Postgres gives me, and then I can add some NoSQL on top of it in the same database. Um, and actually, NoSQL uh, Postgres is better at MongoDB than MongoDB is uh, performance-wise and reliability. Uh, my second pick is called uh, a term called the software crisis, and I'll, I'll link to uh, the Wikipedia article. And um, so the software crisis was basically a discussion about the difficulty of writing useful and efficient programs quickly. And they thought they were having problems mainly because the speed uh, that computer hardware was advancing. Um, so this sounds like a pretty recent thing, but actually this started, this conversation started in 1968. So we've been worried about how well we're writing software for pretty much our entire industry's lifetime i was gonna say i haven't been alive that long thank god (laughs) me neither (laughs) good picks craig thanks for those i'll be sure to check those out myself all right amos what do you have for your picks this episode all right so i think if you've listened long enough you probably know that uh i am a fan of them what uh yeah yeah and i I like emacs too uh just not a not a fan of like bigger ides tabs or spaces um, Tabs and spaces. We'll, tabs, we'll fight about that later. Tabs or um, spaces. I'm trying to start a fight right now, like on recent uh, episodes of Silicon Valley. I don't Valley. really care. Tabs or spaces. doesn't bother me. If you use tabs, I'll set them so that they look like two spaces, just because it's easier on my eyes. Uh, I actually think that tabs are not a bad idea, since people can choose how they want it to display. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, 
there's ag.vim. So I used to use uh, ACVIM for searching for things in Vim. And, and uh, someone pointed me to ag.vim. Uh, AG, AG uh, is the periodic symbol for silver. Uh, I believe uh, I didn't look that up, but I know it's called the Silver Searcher. So I think that that it might be why it's called AG from yep. top of my head. Yep. Um, thanks, Craig, for verifying. Did you just look it up, or you just remember? No, I, probably. I'm I'm the one that introduced you to ACK and probably the Silver Searcher as well. No, not the Silver Searcher. You did not. It, okay. it people I'm working with right now. Um, right. We have a Vim Slack channel. But silver anyway. symbol is AG. Yes, thank you. Uh, it is. It has been pretty fantastic. I, I kept them both for a little bit, and, but forced all my search shortcuts to ag.vim, and it's just it's so much quicker. And the actual output versus ActVim, I like a lot better. And then my second choice, uh, a, a long time ago, I I picked some beer on the podcast a couple times, um, and someone told me I should have an adult beverage for every podcast. So tonight I went and picked up a few. Uh, I only drank one of them. And so I can't, I can't pick which one, but uh, I, I will say that the one that I did drink is fantastic. It's called hop slam. It's from Comstock brewery in Michigan. It's a double IPA that's brewed with honey, uh, which gives it a nice warm um, texture to it. Light. And it's uh, it's got a lot of citrus, a whole lot of hops, and it's f- freaking fantastic. And I would like to drink four or five of them, but it's ten percent alcohol, so I'll pass. Mm. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> all right, well, that's all we have for this episode. Check out thisagilelife.com for our show notes and all of our past episodes. And don't forget to sign up for the mailing list when you get that pop up, and don't just dismiss it like Amos. Sorry. You're not sorry. (laughs) I'm always sorry, John. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This agile life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.